0: answered when the line is available.
1: Welcome in to Gotta Take This on WR Lexington. I'm Crawford Humphreys. He is Cole Heisner on today's show. Des Bryant and Antonio Brown are back in the NFL. The World Series could potentially come to a close tonight. But we begin today with Trevor Lawrence and the world of college football. Uh, Trevor Lawrence projected right now to go number one in the NFL draft to the hapless 0-7 New York Jets. And then today, or yesterday or today, I can't remember which, in a press conference, hinted that he might be open to staying at Clemson for a senior year and foregoing the draft, foregoing heading to Medlife Field where dreams die for for young rookie quarterbacks, as we're seeing currently (laughs) with, with Sam Darnold. Uh, so Cole, what do you what do you what do you think about this? Do you think it's too big of a liability for him to stay uh, for another year and, and risk injury, or do you think he's making the right choice by um, getting out of a situation that seems it seems like there's no bright side?
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting case just because Clemson is such a strong program. Um, you know, you might be able to argue that Clemson could beat the New York Jets. Normally, those kind of college to NFL comparisons are foolish, but you never know. In this case, the Jets really do look horrid, as we'll touch on a little bit later. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think he is the best quarterback prospect since Peyton Manning. And this is also something that Peyton Manning did, you know, coming back for a senior season when no one really expected him. He probably would have been the number one pick as a junior coming out of Tennessee and I think 98, 99. Um, so it's really, I think Trevor Lawrence is already, it, I don't think it's as much of a risk for him to come back, um, as some other guys who might need to, you know, get their money and ensure their draft position. I think he's the number one pick no matter what, um, so I don't know. And uh, we've also seen, you know, speaking of the Manning family, Eli Manning, when he was the number one pick, he said, you know, he was drafted by the Chargers. And he said, his, and his family said, I'm not going to play for them. You know, so and he ended up getting moved to the Giants. Um, so I think Trevor Lawrence has a lot more leverage than anyone else we've seen, probably since the Mannings coming out as just this huge star. Um, I don't know. On the other hand, I will say, you know, you saw what Joe Burrow is doing now. His team's not winning, but he's playing incredible. Um, with a a team in you know in Cincinnati that no one really thinks is very good or was very good, and people thought maybe Joe might try and you know he's got a ton of leverage after that incredible season. Maybe he'll try and you know finagle his way to a certain team. Obviously, he doesn't have a year left of eligibility, so a little bit less leverage. But um, I don't know. I think he could make it work with the Jets, but I also think he's got a lot of cards that he could play.
1: Yeah, I think going to the Jets is just a dead end road for him. You see what they're doing to Sam Darnold right now—just so much wasted potential. He's playing with no offensive line, so he looks even worse than he actually is because I'm sure he has a lot of talent. He played well in college. Um, it's funny you brought up the Eli Manning thing because what I think of in that scenario is um, the theory that Knicks fans had that Zion Williamson was going to tell that to the Pelicans and then go to New York um, <laughs> after, that, after they lost the lottery. They're so delusional. Um, but, but back to Lawrence, you know, you got to think about the risk of injury here. And honestly, I don't think it's that great for him. If he was playing in the SEC, I think it'd be a different story. But you look at who Clemson is playing week in and week out in the ACC, it's pretty. It's a pretty weak schedule. You know, I'm a UVA fan. And, <laughs> you know, even I'm saying that UVA is a pretty pretty weak competition compared to Clemson. You look at, like, Georgia Tech and NC State and Wake Forest, the teams they're playing, it's nothing big. He, they hung, what, 70 point over 70 points on, on Georgia Tech a couple weekends ago. So I feel like his risk, he's not going to get banged up compared to some of the other quarterbacks in college football. And honestly, I think it, it might be worth it for him to skip. Um, but he's also got to keep in the back of his mind that the Jets are not going to turn it around that quickly. Even if they do get rid of Adam Gase, even if they do clear house, get a new GM and everything, one year is not going to make that big of a difference, especially if they're working with the same personnel and you're running a, a Joe Flacco, Frank Gore offense in the year 2020. So um, I don't know. We, we've yet to see what, what will happen there. Um, but I do think Trevor needs to keep in mind that, that the, the, the shape of the NFL is not going to change drastically between now and, and 2021 for sure.
0: Yeah, I also think that, you know, you can also think, for him, you can think big picture about your legacy as a college football player. I mean, he's already a guy who came in as a true freshman, played incredibly well on a great team, you know, took over for a guy who was starting, who was considered, you know, the next guy after Deshaun Watson. And he won a national title as a true freshman. Um, took him to the title game. He's only got one loss still as a starter. Hasn't as yet to win a Heisman, but I think he's the front runner right now. Um, the That can still break late. I mean, he's more of a Peyton Manning never won a Heisman, so that doesn't mean that much. But if I'm him and I win the national title this year and maybe I win the Heisman too, it's a little tantalizing to come back for a senior year to go for that second Heisman, which is unmatched besides for Archie Griffin, um, and that third national title, which it's not like Clemson's going anywhere. You know, like you said, the Jets aren't going to turn it around. You know, Clemson's not going to turn around in the wrong direction in the next season, especially exactly. if it wants not turn yeah. So I, I, a fourth season could be very attractive for him to kind of become probably the best college football player ever if they win it again this year. They'll definitely be a contender next year. The three national titles, I think, would be pretty
1: unmatched for a starter. And, and what a crazy precedent this would set, too. If you've got college guys all of a sudden realizing that the power is in their hands and not in the hands of, of the National Football League, all of a sudden you're going to have these guys who are Heisman contenders who don't want to play for a bottom-of-the-barrel team, so they're just going to take their chances and, and wait for another year and, and see if things improve. Um, and it, it's funny seeing people debate this and, and what's going to happen um, because obviously Sam Darnold is a, is a top-notch quarterback, but you have to realize that that the Jets are – Um, awful when it comes to front office (laughs) decisions. So I would not be surprised if they went ahead and took a quarterback when the glaring needs are a running back that isn't Frank Gore, a backup that is not Joe Flacco, an offensive line that is able to protect their quarterback and some receivers around him. (laughs) You know, you can debate all you want about the Jets' needs, but it's obvious that those are not going to be met. They're going to go for Trevor if they have the opportunity. Um, But let's let's move into college football because we have a lot to talk about. First week that the Big Ten has been back, it was awesome to watch watching Gus Johnson call some, some Big Ten football on Fox. Um, we'll start off with uh, Ohio State and Justin Fields, who had a lot of hype coming into this year. He was nearly perfect, 20 for 21 passing with 276 yards, two touchdowns as Ohio State rolls over Nebraska, 52 to 17. Um, and Cole, what do you think about Ohio State in their opener? Because it's crazy that they have maintained a top five position in the polls, and Justin, uh, Justin Fields is top three in Heisman chances right now having not played a single game. So have a ton of hype, and I think they lived up to it. Absolutely. They
0: look really good. Um, you know, I think they're definitely a team on a mission this year. They were on a mission to even play this year. As we touched on before, their coach, Ryan Day, really led, um, led the charge to get the Big Ten back. Um, I, I think they're in it to win it. I mean, you know, you look at, you know, guys that are returning and even guys that are coming in. Uh, I forget his name, but the wide receiver who made that catch in the back of the end zone. Did you see that? Oh,
1: my Lord. That was – so tap? As he was, like, falling out of bounds and somehow stuck his foot in and and got it, that was insane.
0: That was incredible. I was watching that live, and I saw it, and it was out of bounds. And I I said, I was like, that might be closer than it looks. Like, he might have almost gotten his foot down. Then they showed it, and it was just incredible. So, Ohio State completely reloaded. I mean, Justin Fields is back, you know, with a year under his belt. you know, And they were so close to that national title game last year. Um, So close. Just that misread by Fields at the very end with the receiver with the pick. Um, so I think they look great. I think they're rightfully, I think number five might even be, you know, too high of a spot for them. I think they should be down at, you know, that two, three range, obviously, you know, they have been playing. So those go to other teams, but I think they look like a playoff team and I think they look like a a legitimate contender. Um, definitely in the big 10 to say the least, but definitely for the national title as well.
1: Yeah. I kind of like to refer to them as the big three with Clemson, Bama and Ohio state. And I think with all the craziness we've seen in the world of college football and all the upsets and, Um, You could almost say just inexperienced since there was no spring ball and very limited fall practices. I think those big three are going to stay constant. I think those big three are locks for the college football playoff, especially Bama and Clemson. Um, And I think the Big Ten is Ohio State's to lose, although uh, we'll move into the Michigan-Minnesota game. I think the game could be very interesting this year uh, with the way that Michigan played. Um, A lot of, you know, big ESPN people had this as an upset. They thought that P.J. Fleck and and Minnesota were going to row the boat. Um, into uh, Ann Arbor and get the win. Instead, Michigan comes up big, forty-nine to twenty-four is the final score. Michigan rolls. Joe Milton uh, was fifteen for twenty-two with two hundred twenty-five yards and one TD. Um, but man, both those teams are looking solid. And, and I think that rivalry game is what going to be in November, December, um, something like that. I don't know what the schedule is. I think that I know that all I know is that the Big Ten has no no room for any uh, COVID mishaps because they literally have to get nine games in backed up to the college football playoff
0: yeah absolutely that'll definitely be interesting although I'm I'm I've been kind of a Jim Harbaugh truther for a while meaning that I just don't think he's that good of a coach um especially at Michigan I think he gets a lot of leeway up there you know for a few years he was the highest paid football coach in the world including pro coaches making like nine million a year this was a few years ago now he's you know like still in the top five I believe but I don't know. I mean, Michigan defense looks strong. Um, I also think that Joe Milton, who, you know, won that starting job this off season after Shea Patterson graduated. um, I follow Michigan pretty closely. Um, I have a a good friend from high school who's actually, he's a defensive captain. This is his second year in the row. He's a fifth year senior, Carlo Kemp plays uh, nose, nose guard, really nice guy and also a very good football player. I think he was third or second team all big 10 last year. so I followed that team pretty closely. The quarterback battle was very interesting. this off season. It was between Milton and uh, Dylan McCaffrey, who's a guy also from Colorado where I'm from. Um, I actually guarded him in a summer league basketball game one time, um, which is fun. That's Christian McCaffrey's younger brother. Um, And he ended up transferring out of Michigan, actually. Um, He's in my class. So he's, I believe, a redshirt junior this year, but because of COVID he'll still be a redshirt junior next season, wherever he ends up, he's transferring. so, you know, Milton, not a lot of people expect him to win the job, but I thought he looked really sharp, a guy who, you know, I never started in college before. And even in high school, he was kind of like a super talented. He's a big guy, throws the ball really hard, fast, strong. Um, but there were even questions about accuracy in, in high school. But he looked really strong accuracy-wise, especially, I thought, in this game. And I think that if they can really get a guy, a quarterback, who, you know, can throw the deep ball, can make accurate short passes, and can also run really well like he can, like you said, I mean, I always pick Ohio State over Michigan just because I'm I'm not a Harbaugh guy, um, but I think it could be interesting. The quarterback the quarterback question at Michigan could finally be answered this year, which would be huge for them.
1: Exactly, and if there's any year that Michigan is going to pull up an up upset like this, it would be this year. You know, where everyone's just running around like a like a chicken with their head cut off. No one knows what's going on here. There's so much inexperience, especially for for younger teams. So if, if there's going to be anything that shakes up the college football world, it's going to happen this season, which is why you have to give Michigan some sort of a chance. I don't think you can count them out. Um, but I do think it's going to be an interesting game. And i gotta I got to see when that when that is because um, I know that their schedule is all jumbled up. All the rivalry games are all messed up this year, um, which is a shame. Um, and, and side note, actually, what do you think about a college game day this weekend going to uh, Augusta National? He's got the Masters in November. They're going to put them on the course there and do it from there. What do you think about that?
0: It's pretty fun. I mean, it's kind of like the whole sports world. I think world it's
1: sick. Yeah, we're
0: used, to, we're used to the whole sports world kind of combining this fall. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, you got NBA games and Sunday night football happening at the same time. So it, it, in a weird way, it makes sense that college game day and the Masters are going to be matched up. Just a, a weird fall that we're going to remember for a long time, I think, but that'll be very fun
1: yeah, you gotta think that the Disney and ESPN have been sitting on this since the Masters. They got moved to November. Like I'm sure this has been a long term idea for them. Uh, yep. this definitely did not just come up in like the past week. <laughs> yep, yeah, this is not on a win. This would be a great call. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the the biggest upset of the weekend, which was Indiana getting the upset on number eight penn state thirty six to thirty five was the score. um Sean Clifford for Penn state was twenty four for thirty five two hundred thirty eight yards three touchdowns Sean, uh, Sean Clifford also rushed uh, for 119 yards and touchdown as well um, and man the ba- the, uh, the big 10 continues to be crazy that game also went to OT uh, which made it even crazier uh, for a team like Indiana that had no chance um, coming into it do you think Penn State's um, overhyped do you think this is a matter of inexperience are you giving Penn State some leeway here um where do you stand because i think like i said before you can't really expect anything out of anyone this year
0: yeah i think penn state thinking big picture they're kind of they've cemented themselves as kind of like a top 10 program in the country um where they're always going to be ranked around there but i don't think they're quite a national title contender um you know you mentioned the big three earlier i don't think they're in that range um, so I, I think they're always going to lose one or two games. Obviously the season they might've expected, you know, as you mentioned, it's a crazy year. They might've expected to run the table, even beat Ohio state. Um, we'll see if that's still an option. I think beating Ohio state, I don't even know if they play them to be honest with you. Um, but beating Ohio state would definitely, you know, vault them up into consideration for that. You know, if they don't need any, any other losses into consideration for that, you know, four spot for the playoff, but I don't know, very tough loss, really a lot of props to Indiana. I mean, Going for two multiple times at the end, including an in overtime when they didn't have to go for two, um, just to go for the win. And that incredible, like, stretching out with the ball to just nick the pylon. It just, it's a lot of credit to Indiana. I mean, we've been talking about the SEC as this, like, gauntlet you've got to run through every week. You've got another team that's solid. Big Ten could be the same thing, you know? Um, so I don't know. I think, I still think Penn State's a top 10 team in the country. Um, but again, just such a weird year. Teams Teams can lose weird games, as we've been seeing. Um, especially if you're not those top teams. Um, so yeah
1: Yeah, literally a game of inches. There's a lot of debate on whether he was uh, in there because the ball kind of nicked the pylon. It looked kind of short. It depended. Of course, people were taking various screenshots and saying he was short, um, and they didn't take the actual one that the refs went off of, um, but certainly a crazy ending to that game. Um, that I I totally missed it. I totally thought that that Penn State was going to run away with it once it went to once it went to OT. Turned it off. Went on Me Twitter too. later and, and just saw all the screenshots of the the pylon getting it with the football.
0: Incredible play. One of the plays of the it's year. Insane. Definitely of Indiana's year. Probably. I mean, unless there's some secret you know dark horse contender and they're
1: going to run. Uh, who
0: knows? But you never
1: know. You yeah. never know. Um, and let's move to our last game that we're going to talk about uh, from the world of college football, which was Notre Dame, the number three team in the nation, who is undefeated right now. Steamrolling Pitt, 45-3 to is the final score there. Um, Ian Book with, uh, with 312 yards passing and three touchdowns. This Notre Dame team looks for real. they finally giving everyone what they asked for with a full uh, ACC schedule. So do you think that their, uh, their playoff woes are going to end this year? Do you think that they're finally going (laughs) to be able to make it? uh, Well, not just make it, be able to make it and succeed once they get there.
0: Yeah, Notre Dame, I mean, I think the biggest thing with them this year is their defense, I think, has been just crushing teams. Um, And they're kind of sneaky. I mean, I feel like people forget that they're third, you know, number three in the country. Um, So Ian Book also feels like he's been playing quarterback for them since we were, you know, in grammar school. Um, He's been there a while, so they got experience on offense. Their defense looks really strong. The biggest test, I think will be in two weeks when they play Clemson because, you know, I don't think they necessarily have to beat them to still be in contention, to be in the playoffs and to make some noise. Um, but, you know, if they keep it close or, I mean, heaven forbid, if they beat Clemson, that would be kind of a real statement that they're for real and they are, you know, talk about the top three again. It could be a top four this year. Um, team with an incredible defense kind of flying under the radar right now. No really big name like recruits or anything like that. Um, and they also haven't been there the last few years. So I don't know. I mean, I think – I still think they have to be tested. You know, we thought maybe UNC, you know, last week after they lost. We, before that, we thought they were going to be, you know, potentially a spoiler for Clemson, but it doesn't really seem like that anymore. Obviously, they still play them. Nothing – anything could happen. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Notre Dame looks great, but I'm still waiting on that Clemson game to see, you know, how how much they can really hang with the top teams.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's going to be the biggest test Clemson has, period, for this ACC season, um, at least before they get to the college football playoff. And it'll be interesting to see how their defense holds up against Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. I mean, they just have so many weapons. um, And we'll see if Notre Dame can really contain Clemson's air attack. That's really what they hammer the most. um, And that's what they get teams with. So that'll be interesting. But uh, you know, I talked last episode about how the uh, ACC feels a lot like the Wild West, and you've got the sheriff, which is Clemson, everyone running running around. And now I think you could include Notre Dame in that discussion up there with Clemson. I mean, I know they aren't normally an ACC team. I wish they were an ACC team. I wish they were like a true part of the conference, like they are with everything else, so that their fans would stop complaining. Um, but at the same time, it, that's going to be the biggest test for Clemson. Going to be the biggest test for both teams. And I think that. Um, is going to be the biggest game in the ACC by far. No matter what happens, that's going to define this season, um, especially for the ACC, and hopefully it gives them some, some incentive um, to get Notre Dame in the conference for football. But let's move into the NFL. Two big free agent moves um, by two very uh, strong teams and teams that are deep in the playoff hunt. Uh, the Buccaneers signed Antonio Brown to a one-year deal. The Ravens signing Des Bryant to their practice squad. Of course, the Bucks a more significant move because you've got Antonio Brown Linking back up with Tom Brady, I think he's eligible. What this week, next week, something uh, week like that. Nine. So what is we- that? Yeah, two weeks, one week. I think one or two, one or two weeks. Yeah. Um, so he had air attack in Tampa. Great to have him back in the league, and then Des Bryant going to provide some veteran experience uh, on the practice squad for the Ravens. Crazy moves. Tom Brady has built the ultimate super team. Again, it feels like a one and done thing, where all these guys are signing one year contracts. so They can afford everyone. Um, a lot like the Los Angeles Lakers and what they've got going on right now uh, is Tom a Brady for you for real. Do you think this is a, uh, I think this is the year or do you think um, it might take a year for them to gel? I love the fact that AB is back. I think it's hilarious that Bruce Arians like didn't want him back in the league and said he needed to be a team player. And now I'm sure Tom, you know, was was the leader in, in the movement to bring him to Tampa Bay. Uh, but what are your thoughts on this? Cause you're a Brady guy. What do you think?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a complicated thing to parse through because obviously the things that, you know, Antonio Brown is alleged to have done are, you know, very bad. Obviously in the league giving him the eight-game suspension, you know, kind of reflects that eight games is a big is a big suspension. Um, but, you know, just on the football field, it's really uh, – the Buccaneers are already looking like one of the best teams in the league. Um, it's looking like it could come down to them and, you know, the Seahawks coming out of the NFC. Um, this is just adding a guy who I think is one of the all-time great receivers – um, you know he's done it. He in one game with Tom Brady. You know I think he had like seven, eight catches and a touchdown, hundred yards. I mean, that's just in one game coming out of off the street. You know after all his fiascos previous season. So football-wise, I mean the Buccaneers are now just loaded. I mean my goodness, like Bruce Arians said, this was because of injuries. You know Mike Evans and Godwin have been a little hobbled, but you're adding him to you know those two plus Scotty Miller, who's kind of emerged as Brady's you know one of his favorite targets in addition to Gronk who's now looking a little bit like his old self with the touchdowns and making some key catches. So I don't know. I mean, my goodness, I really think that Antonio Brown is still one of the best receivers in the league. I think he was far and away. Number one for like five, six seasons. Um, I don't know. I mean, you can put a play him in the slot. You can play him outside. He's just always open. I mean, he's just textbook. I mean, receiving coaches at all levels teach their guys to watch his tape and, you know, copy how he runs routes and catches the ball. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if he can get – I I really think this is the year, to answer your question, whether I think it's going to take a year to gel or if this is it. I mean, you saw what he did in one game with Brady, you know, just coming off – he was signed, you know, a few days later, he's playing a game, scoring a touchdown. I think – I don't know. I think this becomes much scarier for teams like the Seahawks and the Packers and, you know, possibly even the Cardinals, which we'll touch on later, obviously beat the Seahawks, you know, the contenders in the NFC. Very scary. That Antonio Brown is now joining a team that's already looking like it's really coming together and they're one of the best teams in the
1: league. Yeah, I think you can't understate, under, understate the impact that uh, Des Bryant is going to have in Baltimore, too. Adding a veteran into the mix there, it's going to help Lamar. Um, I'm sure he's going to help a lot in practice uh, You know, brushing up against the, the first-string defense for the Ravens. Um, but I think Antonio Brown really solidifies um, Tom Brady in Tampa. I think it solidifies them as a top team in the league. They're going to be the team to beat from here on out. I cannot wait to see him come back. And I do think that Uh, This could be wishful thinking, but I do think Antonio Brown knows his situation. He knows he's lucky to be here. He only has a one-year contract. I think having Bruce Arians there too might kind of curb his behavior or make him more of a team player. We have yet to see how that will work out. Um, But I think just given the circumstance, how long he's been waiting, the nature of his contract and the program he's going into, I think he's going to be on very thin ice from day one. Um, And I think that'll especially keep him in in check. And I'm sure Tom will will keep him in check as well. Um, But yeah, if you do want to go, uh, you want to go game by game here, go through some scores. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start off here uh, with the Lions and the Falcons. Lions get the win. Uh, 23 to 22. Crazy game. Um, Todd Gurley, who's the running back for the Falcons, accidentally scored a touchdown instead of running out the clock gave the lions enough time to drive all the way down the field and get a game winning touchdown Falcons losing the most Atlanta way possible and they suck. It just continue to suck. Yeah,
0: that was, um, that was brutal. I mean, when Gurley got in the end zone, I kind of thought like, whatever, you know, you hear about, you know, don't score, but I think that can be kind of overplayed strategy. You know, it's like touchdowns, a touchdown, but you know, a lot of props to Matthew Stafford. I mean, he, like, drove them down in very short order. Um, only had one play at the end for about, like, the 11-yard line. You know, avoid the sack, rolled out, and passed to Hoskinson. Um, great, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, Matt Stafford gets hated on if that was Mahomes or, you know, Rogers. People will be talking about that, you know, that drive down the field for years to come. Uh, I think Stafford, you know, it's a big win for them. You know, the Falcons obviously aren't playing well this year, but still to come back and win it, so quickly. Just a lot of confidence in your in your offense that permeates throughout the team and the organization, knowing that, you know, you can score if you need to score um in game time. So, you know, big win Stafford, I think kinda is underrated. Um, he's been in a kind of bad organization. You know, I'm a I'm a Patriots fan, so I I know Matt Patricia and I don't think he's that great of a coach. Um got my own got my own qualms with Matt Patricia. Um, but big win for them, Stafford, you know, all time, all time draft for him, all time win for him as a player. And then let's see. We got our Thursday night game, which was the Giants played the Eagles. Eagles won that one by one point. Another tight game for the Eagles. We've got a a friend of ours who's a a big Philly fan. We always tell him, you know, Eagles win, but they win ugly. And well, sometimes they they don't win. Um, But you know, that NFC East, we touched on it. Just it's really. So they're just – they're remaining clustered. No one can pull away, you know, even the Eagles look talented. I mean, it's still just such a cluster.
1: I was about to say, that game encapsulates the NFC East perfectly. You could not have asked for a better game. You you know, Danny Dimes running uh, for a wide-open touchdown and tripping and falling at the 20-yard line inexplicably. He ran too fast to keep himself up. He couldn't stay upright. Um, Man, that game just perfectly – um encapsulates everything about the NFC East but man it's it leading think about leading your uh, division at two and four and one not great not great at all no yeah
0: that's that's crazy especially considering I'm sure we'll touch on the NFC West which that's like four playoff teams right there and you know someone's going to get left out because of how the playoffs are structured someone from the NFC East, some, from the, someone from the NFC East has to make the playoffs which is very unfortunate
1: which, would, yeah, you might as well just vacate their spot, if we're being honest. If I'm Goodell, I'm taking away their playoff privileges for a year and telling them to get better and giving them a year to, to figure things out. I think that's the, the only fair move at this point. Uh, the Browns get a big win over the Bengals. Baker Mayfield started off awful. I think he was like 0 for 10 at the beginning of the game. Joe Burrow shined in this game, 35 for 47 passing, 406 yards, three touchdowns. Um, Kareem Hunt had 18 carries for 76 yards. Uh, and Richard Higgins had six receptions and 110 yards, uh, and those are both for Cleveland. But Burrow, man, he played a heck of a game. Sad that he had to lose. Um, Baker really turned things around to his credit. Um, he did a really good job after struggling in, in the first quarter um, and, and started to pick things up later on in the game and threw some big touchdowns. He had a huge drive at the end of the game uh, that put them ahead by a point um, – or, sorry, by three points, which is how they ended up winning. Uh, but Burrow, like you said before, he's playing well given his situation. Given that Cincinnati has not been kind to quarterbacks recently, um, really since what the Carson Palmer era was that the last great quarterback in Cincinnati. He's doing well for given his situation. He's kind of a model for um, all all number one draft picks to come. Uh, but just wish he could have gotten a win. You know, it, it doesn't really show much when you're one and five and one, um, and you're only one and two at home. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Every week we say we're big Joe Burrow fans and want to see him
0: win, but he's playing great. Um, the other big story from this game was, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. going down with the ACL. So he's obviously out for the season. Um, and I believe he's – I don't know how old he is exactly, but, you know, he's not hes not a young player anymore. So um, hoping that he can return to form next season or he, whenever he's able to get back. Um, but certainly a big blow to the Browns, who, you know, are having a great year and looking like they could sneak in as a wild card team potentially. Um, don't really see them getting past the Ravens and Steelers in that division. Um, but, you know, looking at the rest of the AFC, I think they could get in somewhere. Um, I don't know. What, do you think that, you know, without OBJ, the playoffs are out of the question? Or, you know, how do you think this is going to impact their season?
1: Um, I think it's going to fall a lot on Baker's shoulders. He's really going to have to work his receivers well and, and give himself more options than just throwing to Odell and, and Jarvis Landry. Um, but I think it's 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 a big hit, and it just it's on, honestly kind of feels like there's a curse on Cleveland, because every time they get close, you know this is their best season in, in like a decade, five and two, and one of their number one receivers goes down with an injury. It's like they can't win no matter what. It literally feels like they're kind of cursed. Um, and I think honestly, you could blame a lot of this, and there have been so many injuries across the league this year. On the fact that there was very limited fall practices, everything's been so limited with contact and everything. You're just throwing these guys out there with really no training behind them and and they don't have a full off season of work um, behind them, and their bodies aren't really ready for this kind of thing. Um, I think that's a big reason to blame. I don't think this is you know this is this injury is not on obj this is not a personnel thing. You made the right move by trying to get a stop and making a tackle after an interception. Um, but, man, it's just, I think it's definitely an indicator for the, uh, the side effects of, of not having a full offseason of practice. So I think it's going to be important for the Browns. Um, I think they'll be fine. Um, I think anything above 500 is a win for them. They have to keep that in mind with where they're at and where they've been at historically. But I think this I, I put all of this on the on the league and the way things were handled in the offseason. Um, I think it could have been done so much better than it was.
0: Absolutely. And another team who's kind of um... – been at a disadvantage, uh, although there are many other issues um, due to COVID. Uh, is the Patriots who lost big um, to the 49ers, 33 to 6? Um, really brutal game in New England. I'm a Patriots fan, so I was watching this game pretty closely. You know, Cam Newton played really, really poorly. I think he had three interceptions. Um, didn't really get the ball. Didn't get the ground game going at all. Um, receivers couldn't get any separation. And then even when it was Stidham time, which I know a lot of people in the Boston area thought, you know, he can be our guy moving forward, he comes in and throws another pick. So, um, I don't know. I mean, definitely as a Pats fan, it's this is the first time, you know, I was born in 1998. Um, you were born in 2000. Like, this is the first time that we've really uh, seen the Patriots not as kind of like that guaranteed like AFC's champion and like one seed with the bye type of thing, Super Bowl contender, it looks like they might not even make the playoffs. And you really have to rethink what the priorities are. This season it might be time to think about, you know, tank, tank for Trevor, as much as it's weird to say from the past. But I don't know. I mean, what, what are your thoughts as a, uh, an
1: impartial viewer of the Patriots? Well, man, after getting beat that badly by the 49ers, I do think you need to reconsider some things. Um, I agree with Belichick that I think Newton needs to remain the starter just from a, a leadership standpoint. Uh, but diving deeper into it, you know, it's obvious that, that Brady left some glaring needs. I think a lot of Tom Brady haters were hoping that this would be the year that he gets exposed as a system quarterback and, you know, you put a different QB into this Patriots system and it works out to perfection. Um, obviously, it's not the case. Um, and, and the Patriots have lost some pieces too, to their credit. Um, but I do think it's time for them to reevaluate. It might be time to blow up this team. I don't think the, the Brady model is going to work anymore with a running QB like Cam Newton. So you're really going to have to readjust the entire offense to that. Um so, so I, I kind of agree with you. I do think it's time to implode. I don't think it's tanking time. I think it's just more time to to get on the GM, you know, get, get on the GM grind and start, you know, wheeling and dealing your guys and your draft picks more than they would normally.
0: Yeah, I think there's also a lot of blame to go to the front office because as you said, you know, they're missing some pieces, guys opted out, losing Tom Brady's big. Um, but you know, they also kind of walked away from Brady. Um, it was pretty mutual. Um, if not, you know, the Pat's saying, we're not going to give you the contract that you've earned. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think the roster looks really, really depleted. You know, last season, according to, you know, advanced stats and pro football focus, well, you know, grade receivers. Pat's had the worst receiving core, you know, collectively that they've ever graded. It's in, you know, the 20, 25 years that have been doing that last season. And they didn't make any moves this season to bring in, you know, guys. Um, I think Jamari Bird was a big addition. He's a guy who couldn't even really make the roster in Arizona and he's now one of their top options. Edelman looks banged up. He looks old. You know, it's hard to be a receiver for that long, especially one that's based on quickness and route running. Um and also a guy who, you know, built such rapport with Brady and now is a new coach with no offseason. So I do think a lot of blame has to come back to Belichick in the front office, you know, Nick Cast Nick Castillo, which I he's the head of scouting, which you know I don't know that for any other team but the Patriots. Um, I just think that this roster does not look strong. Um, and I mean, I've even heard talk about potentially dealing Stefan Gilmore, who's a defensive player of the year last year, one of the most valuable guys in the league, but they're just, you know, what's the use for, you know, the best corner in the league if you're not even really looking, looking to make the playoffs. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of blame to go around. I think that the post Brady reckoning is absolutely here. A lot of people thought, like you said, you know, it was going to be more on Brady that he can't win without Belichick, but it really looks like the Pats are in trouble and the season's not going how we thought it was going to go. Um, yeah, so a little bit scary the rest of the season, but we'll see if they can turn it around. You never know in that division.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, shoot, y'all are, y'all are both in Boston. Might as well get, get Danny Ainge to come and run the front office for a little bit. I think that might be the only solution here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we could finally – could have made that trade for Paul George three years ago. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I really – I don't know what to think about the Pats. It's tough. Again, it's my first time them not being, like, an incredible team. So I don't even know what to think. It's very strange for me.
1: All right, well, well, let's get let's get your mind off it for a little bit with the Washington football team who whooped up on the Cowboys, 25 to three. The football team are now two and five. Uh, Kyle Allen threw for two touchdowns, almost 200 yards. Of course, the Cowboys have been depleted. Um, there was a, a semi dirty hit, I think you could say it was a dirty hit on uh, Andy Dalton and knocked him out. He now has a concussion, so that took him out of the game. All of a sudden, you've got a guy coming from James Madison University playing for the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, against their rival, the Redskins. It wasn't going to go well from the jump. Um, the Redskins were were playing with a finally a healthy Kyle Allen, um, not relying on Alex Smith anymore. Um, and then they got a huge win. But man, the Cowboys just looked depleted without Dak. It is crazy how fast they fell. Um, only scored a field goal. That's all they, they they traveled all the way to D.C. to score a field goal for that game. Um, crazy game uh but man it, it, i think now you're kind of seeing the worth of, of Dak Prescott and i hope he gets paid uh i hope Jerry Jones sees this and decides to pay the man
0: absolutely yeah that that loss can't really be you know overstated even you know with him they were not playing great but he was playing really really well leading the league in passing um and it's going to be a tough question i mean like what they're going to do this offseason cuz it looks like they're going to have a pretty high draft pick Obviously, you know, they might not have number one where they can get Trevor Lawrence, but they might be in play for Justin Fields or um, – oh, I forget his name, but the quarterback for North Dakota State um, up north playing in the FCS is a really a guy who could run, throw. He's a winner, obviously. Mac, Mac Jones at Bama, too. Another Jones, option. Well. Yeah, so this could be a quarterback-rich draft. And you never know. I mean, they might, they might decide they don't want to pay Dak and they want to, you know, kind of rebuild with, you know, I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think that – what do you think, Jerry – no one can get in the mind
1: of Jerry Jones, but what do you
0: think he's thinking quarterback-wise after seeing yeah,
1: I was about to say, trying to trying to analyze what he's thinking is impossible. Quarterback-wise, I think you have to pay Dak. I think it's obvious, by the way, things have gone downhill. But you do need a better backup than Andy Dalton. Um, his role is not to lead a team. His role is to come in, in garbage time to take over for Prescott so he doesn't get injured. So I do think there needs to be emphasis on a QB. Um, but, you know, we've seen in the, in the draft, we've seen QBs fall late in late rounds. You know, Jake Fromm was a big example this past year in the draft of a guy who fell way farther than anyone thought he was going to be. Um, you know, even Jalen Hurts fell a little bit too into that second, third round area. If, the you know, the Cowboys can, can make a move with their top pick and pick, you know, a lineman, someone on defense, a wide receiver, another offensive weapon, and then sit back a few rounds and pick up a QB there. You know, I honestly think that's that's the best market for a backup at this point. It's just getting a guy like Fromm or, or something that's someone that's going to fall a little later. Um, expectations aren't high, but you know, it's you you aren't losing much by picking up one of those guys to backup. I think Andy Dalton just isn't built for this role. I don't think he was built for this role, and I think he was thrust into this position that he definitely never foresaw happening um, when he signed a contract to go to Dallas. Um, but you know, knowing Jerry Jones, he might want to make the big splash in the first round. Um, you never know. It's, it's Jerry's, it's Jerry's world. We're just living in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That'll be very interesting to watch. Um, moving into probably, probably the game of the week. Uh, maybe not, but battle between two unbeatens, uh, Steelers and the Titans. Steelers pulled it out 27 to 24. Comeback kids. The Titans couldn't get it done this week. Like they've kind of been doing all season. They've been down and able to come back. Um, Stephen Gostowski had a good look at, a I think, 44, 48 yarder at the, at the very end, couldn't put it through. Um, but I think both these teams, you know, obviously Titans want to win Steelers, you know, did win, but I think they both know that they're kind of playing their contenders to make the Super Bowl this year coming out of the AFC. Um, you know, Mike Vrabel's team looked really strong. Um, and even, you know, the Steelers, we've talked about, you know, Big Ben kind of probably the comeback player of the year um real resurgence but they look really really strong they're the only unbeaten team left after the Seahawks lost obviously on Sunday night which we'll touch on um uh or was that Monday night ah, whatever uh, we'll get it right um but yeah you know Steelers look legit and the Titans still look legit you know it looked like maybe after the first half I believe it was like 24 to 3 you thought maybe okay you know Titans have kind of they gotta stay in their lane they're not a real contender um but they brought it back almost won a chance sent to OT and didn't um unfortunately but Both teams, I think these are two of the top teams in the league. Um, It'll be very interesting to see how they match up against teams like the Ravens and the Chiefs, who, you know, we've been expecting to, you know, kind of be the 1A, 1B in in that conference. So, yeah, big game. Both teams looked good. But Steelers, last unbeaten team, you know, who would have thought?
1: Kind of crazy. And the thing about, you know, Big Ben in that game, he looked a lot like uh, Patrick Mahomes, just making circus passes all over the place, you know, getting sacked and just kind of throwing it over his head and hoping that someone was there. Um, you know, kind of the idea, you know, the Russell Wilson thing, just throw it up and DK will be downfield and he'll catch it. You know, it's that kind of idea. It's crazy, you know, for a guy his age coming off an injury, um, still a solid quarterback. Um, I think the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers are the team to beat. I totally agree with you on that. Um, I think this game really solidified that. And when it comes to Titans, you know, they have to, to find a way to stay in the game. They can't come back every game. Um, you know, they need to, especially against these big opponents, they need to be in it at halftime. They need to be in it after the first quarter. They can't be getting outplayed. You can't be down two scores coming into the third quarter. Uh, that's not a winning formula, and, and you, you aren't going to be able to – statistically, you cannot come back every single game. Um, so if they want to make a deep playoff run, they got to find a way to, to stay in the game.
0: Absolutely, yeah. That works against lower opponents that they're more talented than, but against teams like you know the Steelers, obviously Ravens, uh, Chiefs, you can't do that. You can't go down. You need to stay in that game and, if not, get out ahead. Because these these other teams have quarterbacks that can get them back in a hurry. As, you know, the Titans know from last year in the playoffs when they had Mahomes on the ropes and he came back and beat them. So, yeah, totally agree. Let's
1: talk uh, one more game before we move into uh, another, another episode of Analysis about the World Series. Um, I think we have a little bit more knowledge about it at this point. I've been watching it. You've been watching it a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. I can't watch a, a little football bit more game anymore, but a little bit. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, let's let's talk about one more NFL game. Um, and we can talk about the Buccaneers while we're at it. Why not? Uh, they beat the Raiders 45 to 20. Tom Brady uh, threw for 370 yards, four touchdowns. Um, heck of a day by him. And, and Leonard Fournette had himself a day, too, rushing for 50 yards. Um, Tampa Bay now 5-2. and two. They're 2-2 two two on the road. The Raiders fall to five hundred. They're three and three, which again is better than a lot of people thought they were going to be this year. With a rebuild, um, a coach with John Gruden that's still settling into his role um, in Las Vegas. What are your thoughts on the Buccaneers? Do you think this is um, a noteworthy performance, or do you think this I think this is a good performance against a uh, mediocre opponent? I think it's. I think it's still a solid win.
0: You know, the Buccaneers like they, they've lost to the Saints and to the Bears, two teams that. Um, don't really you know the bears are obviously still a good record, but you know i don 't really think people think of them as a contender, and the Saints you know still don't really look great or anything um, so I definitely think this was a game that you know people thought that maybe you know Buccaneers could lose, and I think it was a big win, um, but even more so than just the win, I think that the way that Tom Brady played was just huge for them you know I think now since week three he 's got like fifteen touchdown passes, one interception leading the league in a ton of categories, you know, since week three, of course, not from the whole season. Um, on the season, he's up to 18 touchdown passes, which is, you know, again, the Patriots have three total passing touchdowns, I believe. So not to compare, but, you know, that's that's brutal. Um, but, yeah, I think Brady looks really great. Gronk is looking like himself. And, you know, now they're just waiting on A, B to really – and also for the receivers to be fully healthy. Because um, Mike Evans, I don't even think – I think he had one, maybe two catches, didn't really well, – didn't make a lot of noise. So yeah, I think the biggest story there is that Brady looks like the Brady of old, which they weren't sure, but, you know, lately he's really turned it on. I think he could even end up in the, uh, in the MVP conversation if he continues on this trajectory and if AB comes in and gets ingratiated in that offense really nicely. So, yeah, big, big win for the Bucs, but even bigger just performance-wise. They look great.
1: Well, we got some time. Let's dive into the World Series. Uh, another game tonight. The Dodgers are up 3-2. They have the opportunity to close it out. Get the monkey off their back. It'd be their first World Series win since 1988. Big opportunity for Clayton Kershaw, who's gone four and one in the playoffs. He's two and zero in the World Series thus far. Um, he's had some solid performances for a guy who is known for choking in big moments. Um, and Cole, we made the project. We made the prediction last episode that it was going to be Dodgers in six or seven. Um, tonight's our opportunity to get to get one right for the first time in the history of this podcast slash radio show. We're going to get. We could get a prediction right. Knock on wood hope it happens um but do you think the dodgers are going to close it out uh do you think they have the uh the ability to or do you think um the history is going to continue as it has been and they're going to blow another another big series
0: yeah i really don't know i mean right now we're recording it i've got the game on in my room it's top of the second uh tampa bay's up (laughs) 1-0 um so that that's where we're at right now i mean so still you know we're not we don't have any uh any foresight obviously this will be played you know after the game um I really don't know. I mean, I still think it's going to go seven. Um, I think that Tampa Bay is just a scrappy team. You know, their win in game five, I believe at the end with that walk-off hit was kind of one for the ages, kind of just a play that will be replayed over and over again, especially if they win the series. Um, I still think it's going to go seven.
1: Um, I don't know. Is, is it, will Kershaw take the ball at uh, in game seven? Do you know? I have no clue what they'll end up doing with that, honestly. I don't know if it's been been – too close to that, you know, having two, having him pitch two games pretty close to to each other. um, I guess it all depends on how he's feeling and where his arm is. But man, that would, if he pitches in game seven, World Series on the line, that would be the opportunity for him to resolve all of the wrongs in his career. I think that would permanently erase everything. Kind of the equivalent of of LeBron, you know, winning in Cleveland in 2016. Um, It's it's kind of the moment that that washes away everything else and makes you the winner um, that you are. So honestly, I kind of hope that moment comes for him, just for all the hate that man gets. He's had a solid postseason run. He's had a solid World Series performance thus far. He's still going to get hated on for what's happened before. Um, and and you have to think, too, like one of those performances did come against the Astros. They knew what pitches were coming. You got to give him some credit there. I hate that team, and I'm so glad that they are not in the World Series. But you have to think, you know, that, that I don't count that against him. Um, but I certainly hope the Dodgers win, and I certainly hope that his performance – um, serves as a reckoning for his career and, and shows people how good of a pitcher he is outside of the regular season.
0: Yeah I think I could see I don't think he's going to start game seven but I certainly think he'll get the ball at some point especially if it's close um, you know in game seven anyone can pitch you know whether it's for an out or whether it's you need six innings from a guy unexpectedly so I think like you said it's going to be that storybook you know Clayton Kershaw is going to take the ball on a tight game in game seven I think that'd be incredible Um, just for him, you know, he's been one of the all time great pitchers of our lifetimes and to finally get that world series and, you know, kind of, like you said, relieve, wash away, you know, his, his sins or whatever you want to call it. Um, it it would be huge for him, be a great story. And, you know, again, as a Boston fan, I'm sad that, you know, the Mookie, Mookie Betts trade worked out, you know, for them, but it's a great team and they've been there so many times. And I think this is still the year to win it, but again, Rays are scrappy and they're also a very strong team. So. We'll see what happens tonight,
1: but Game 7 will be wild. All right, well, that's all the sports news we have. Let's move into segments. We'll begin uh, with the repeat of last week. Does Adam Gase still have a job? And the answer is yes. He gave away his play-calling duties this past weekend in a loss to the Bills. It was the first game. Jets are 0-7, the first game all season that they've kind of hung in there. They had the lead for a little bit. um, At one point, with uh, Frank Gore as their running back, and I think Joe Flacco in his QB, or Darnold in, and then Joe Flacco as well. Um, but Adam Gase somehow has a job. We talked about it last week, how Dan Quinn, who has a lot more to hang his hat on, has already been kicked out of uh, Atlanta. Adam Gase is still there. He's not even calling plays anymore. He's just a lame duck coach. Um, and I do not know how this man still has a job. It makes no sense.
0: I know. And they probably played their best game of the season this year without him calling plays. I mean, even on defense, you know, they held the bills to no touchdowns. I think it was just field goals. Um, so again, you know, a loss is still a loss, but in Jets in Jets world, um, which sounds like not a good place to be, uh, in whatever capacity, whether a fan or part of the team, whatever, um, uh, improvement, I guess you could say. So maybe, you know, the front office is saying, Hey, Adam Gase, good work. You know, we only lost by, what was it? Like eight points or something. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe this segment will return, keep returning. I mean, it could be on the upswing. Uh, only God knows. God
1: maybe every day they just flip a coin in the front office. Like, are we going to keep them today? You know, just flip it. And somehow they've gotten heads every week since, you know, the beginning of the season. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how, what's going to happen. Um, I don't know if they're waiting for the coaching carousel to open up and for more coaches to lose their jobs. They can hire someone. I'm sure it's going to be a terrible hire, regardless of who it is, knowing that knowing how incompetent they are as a franchise, but we'll see what happens there. Um, But let's move into our uh, second segment. We're embracing debate. Last time we did this, we talked about um, Tom Brady and whether or not he was a system quarterback. Today we're going to talk about Tom Brady again, a little bit of a different take. Um, And Cole and I are going to be debating over whether or not Tom Brady is a witch. Um, And allow me to kind of explain this a little bit more. Um, This was dug up on Barstool. This is on Twitter. This is all over the place. Um, But it's a history of Tom Brady um, and where he's lived throughout his life. And the idea is that wherever Tom Brady goes, Sports success follows him. Um, Is this supernatural? Has he sold his soul? No one knows what's happening here. Um, But he was born in California. Um, A year after he was born, the 49ers hired Bill Walsh, and they began uh, their 49ers dynasty. They won Super Bowls in 81, 84, 88, 89, and 1994. um, It was an improbable run, uh, truly dominant. I don't know if we'll we'll ever see anything as dominant as that ever again. Um, Then he moved to Ann Arbor, go to Michigan, play football. Uh, the, the Detroit Red Wings got two Stanley Cups while he was in Ann Arbor. Then he moves to Boston. We all know what happens in Boston. Uh, the Celtics had success. The Bruins had success. The Red Sox had success. Everyone won. Um, and now he moves to Tampa. The Rays are in the World Series. The Tampa Bay Lightning um, just won the Stanley Cup. You got the Miami Heat, who are the closest team to Tampa, that uh, were in the NBA Finals. Uh, so, Cole, this all begs the question, is Tom Brady a witch? Is he doing something supernatural here? Because you can't look at this and think that – I don't know. It, yeah, you, with Boston, it gets a little murky because Boston's always going to be a, a strong sports city. But the sudden rise in Tampa sports once he comes there, it's kind of kind of inexplicable. It is
0: a little spooky. Um, it makes it – I mean, if this is true, it makes me even sadder as a Boston fan that he left – Uh, Now all our teams are in trouble again, which obviously they were, you know, before, before he got there, you know, the the nineties was not a good decade for Boston sports. Um, But I, I really don't know. I mean, Tom Brady is such a, such a fascinating figure to consider on the large. I mean, you look at, I don't think a guy has ever gone from underdog to like top dog, like hated, like he has so gracefully. I mean, he went from like, you know, six round guy eating, you know, whole pizzas in his condo in the Boston area and like, barely making the roster to, you know, married to a supermodel and he's got six Super Bowl rings and he's, you know, somehow gotten handsomer as he's gotten older and it, it, it is a little spooky, um, his life trajectory, but I don't know. I mean, it, it makes a little sense. I, I'd never seen it drawn out like this, but when you showed me this, I thought, I mean, geez, could be there's just some sort of magic with
1: Tom that follows him. I don't know. What, what do you think? You think he's a witch? I mean, it, it, the Tampa Bay thing and, and his time in Ann Arbor, certainly, um, and, I don't know. It, there's, it's hard to find a strong correlation. Um, if he is a witch, I'm mad he only gave the Celtics one title while he was in Boston. That's probably the biggest biggest problem I have with that. Um, I could care less if he is a witch or not. Uh, I'm just mad he only gave us one title. <laughs> that's, that's, the biggest, that's the bigger issue here. Um, so, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I honestly, I think what it's going to take, I need, I just need one more stop. He's got to go one more place. Let's see where he retires. And if that place suddenly becomes the sports capital of the United States, then I will say he's a witch. But until then, because the Celtics only won one time, I don't think he's a witch.
0: If he could go to New York and turn the Knicks around, I think that
1: would. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. The Jets, Jets, Giants, Knicks, Nets. Yep, suddenly becomes like the greatest four sports teams in in the United States. That would definitely that would be convincing. That's what he needs. That's what he needs. Yeah. When do you when do you think the Knicks are going to start getting like federal funding to to write the ship? When do you think the federal government is going to step in and and figure something out?
0: I mean, it, they should seize the Knicks franchise just in the criminal operation because <laughs> oh god, games stolen. I, I, I don't know which is worse: his management of his team or his band's music that he plays. <laughs> forces people to listen to, um, yeah. So we we didn't think we were talk about the Knicks, but the Knicks are still bad. Uh,
1: no, no real updates on the Knicks front. I don't think. No. So we'll see what happens. I, that's what's going to take for me. Wherever he retires, that's going to be the key indicator uh, for whether or not he's a witch. I think that's going to be it. And maybe honestly, if, but and if the Rays do, then that might that that might give it a, give it away a little bit. You know,
0: absolutely. Yeah,
1: that would be, we'll that would be two would be teams that he's uncursed. You know, we we'll you know, Yeah. So also like, you got to think if he is a witch and he's controlling all this stuff, he made the heat beat the Celtics. So I don't know where that falls in like that. If, if anything, this shows how messy his split was with the Boston area when he left. Yeah. Like this funny. is a deep down grudge. He's got.
0: And he moves quickly too. It's not, it doesn't exactly. take a while for this to set in. He's,
1: he's on it. No matter he's if. on it already. Yeah. Yeah. Spells are cast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move into the, the music segment while we still have time. Probably the most exciting music segment we've had in the history of this podcast, uh, because two major artists announced upcoming albums, uh, Drake's album certified lover boys coming out in January of 2021. Uh, and kid Cudi announced man on the moon three, which is an album back in 2016. That he said it was never going to happen. I assume it's going to be probably December of this year, probably into next year. Um, of course, with Drake, you're assuming that he's trying to push it as far into the future as he can uh, to have the possibility of touring later on once COVID's done. Maybe you know later in the spring or middle of the summer uh, do a little summer tour. Um, but the trailer for for Certified Lover Boy was insane um, with him recreating all the the classic album covers. What was it? So far gone. There's Take Care. there was nothing was the same um and then the uh the dark lane demo tapes the one he released over the summer uh during quarantine i think it's going to be a classic um i've heard people say it might be his last album i highly doubt that but i think it's going to be a classic for sure
0: yeah it's very interesting to see you know the 60 second trailer of you know going kind of recreating the albums um and i thought he might go through all his albums and make it seem like this is going to be kind of like an anthology album like a like you said maybe a final you know masterpiece whatever um But I I think it means he's drawing from his more kind of classic rap albums, you know, not Scorpion, um, not Views, not If You're Reading This It's Too Late. Um, So very interesting. I mean, I think a lot of people are big Take Care fans. They wish that Drake had made more music like Take Care. Um, Although Drake's still, you know, kind of the number one, number one rapper, if not artist, of the last ten years. Um, So very interesting that he's drawing from these old school albums that I personally listen to a lot more often, even today, maybe excluding Dark, Dark lane demo tapes i don't really like that one but the older ones i listen to those more than i do his more recent ones for sure 100 um, yeah it's so timeless very, it's timeless yeah very exciting if he's gonna be returning to those roots and it's interesting to see if he can pull it. i mean do you think he can he's in such a different position in life and his career than he was then you know he's kind of trying to prove himself back then and now he's i mean he can put out anything and it's going to number one on Apple music
1: well, well someone did an interview with ovo 40 and they were talking about why can't drake put out a short album um, because that's kind of become a little bit of a trend in hip-hop there was you know that summer um in 20 summer 2018 right when kanye put out the five albums his own album and then the other ones that he produced and they were all like eight songs each and that kind of set this framework for really short albums that don't have filler they get to the point they might not get you know big streaming numbers because there's not as much stuff for people to listen to um but it it's so consolidated that it's just like the best songs it's like, like you know Um, Like Pusha T, that's like seven great songs, one after the other. Um, And, you know, someone asked 40 why Drake could never do that. And it's because he has so many different styles. He does R&B, he does rap, he does, you know, a combination of both. He's all over the place. Um, So that's what makes me hopeful, you know, kind of him drawing on all those different styles, you know, like the moodiness and the sadness of take care. And then kind of like the rapping of uh, nothing was the same. And some of the, the classics like, hold on, we're going home um and then of course you know uh so far gone just like the classic you know drake mix between singing and, and rapping i think it's gonna be a classic um and i think i think Kate cuddy's album could be a classic too you got to think about him you know he's a he's an incredible artist uh man on the moon has been an incredible series with the first two um and i think it, 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 i think it's big for i hope connie is on the album but i think it could be cool
0: yeah it's also very interesting these guys are pulling from their older stuff Versus like, I feel like Drake especially has gone kind of pulling from newer waves of music. And he's kind of hopped on and, you know, got number one songs from new styles. Like 40 said, you know, he's got, he can do any style of music. Um, but I think it's very interesting that he's not going to be pulling from older stuff versus riding the wave. So we'll see if he can be successful. It'd be very exciting as a, as a Drake fan. Um, but I don't know if he could pull it off. His last couple albums have been, eh, for, in my opinion. Um,
1: but I don't know. I'm still very excited for this. He, need, he needs a classic. And I think so does Cuddy too. Cuddy needs like a, a independent album without Kanye. That's kind of his own thing. That's, that's a classic. Um, and that isn't, you know, from like the early 2000s, 2010s. Uh, but that's all the time we have for today's show. This has been Gotta Take This. Of course, I'm Crawford Humphreys. He's Cole Heisner. Check us out on anchor.fm slash gotta take this. Uh, we'll be publishing our podcast episodes that don't air here on WUR Lexington. Uh, and Cole, what are we thinking for the, the outro song today? We're gonna go with some classic Drake. Take care headlines what are you feeling um yeah let's Let's go with headlines that's that's headlines classic throwing me all the way back to 2011 the good old days way back way back in the day (laughs) thank you so much for tuning in we will be back here next wednesday same time same place wlur lexington Y'all
2: then. I might be too strong out on compliments, overdosed on confidence. Started not to give up and stop fearing the consequence. Drinking every night because we drink to my accomplishments. They wait too long, I'm floating in and out of consciousness. And they saying I'm back. I agree with that. I just take my time without it. I still believe in that. I had someone tell me I fell off. Ooh, I needed that. And they wanna see me pick back up well, where I leave it at. I know I exaggerated things. now I got it like that. Tough my nappy in my shirt cause I'm just mobbing like that You know good and well that you don't want a problem like that You gon' make someone around me catch up like that No, don't do it, please don't do it Cause one of us goes in and we all go through it and Drizzy got the money, so Drizzy gon' pay it Those my brothers, I ain't even gotta say it That's just something they know They know, they know, they know They know, they know they know they know they know yeah they know yeah that the real is on the rise them other guys i even gave them a chance to decide not nah, something they know they know they know they know yeah
0: i'll be yelling out money over everything